Welcome to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, a podcast where your hosts, Tony, Roland, and Jonathan, get together and talk about Dwarf Fortress. Usually that's the case, but we had some scheduling issues this week that prevented us from meeting all at once. So the first half of the episode is myself and Tony, and the second half is me and Roland chatting on another day. In any case, we hope you enjoy the episode. You know, I haven't played as much as I maybe would normally play. Um, I've been tracking some of the changes, though, that, that look pretty darn cool. I didn't watch that video that Tarn put out until, you know, this past week. I'm like, okay, cool. His, uh, his winter update? Yeah, yeah, the, the actual, you know, because we've seen the screenshots of what it looks like, the game, um, when it's being... You know the, the new update basically we like we've seen the screenshots but we haven't actually seen somebody playing it and so for me i, I was kind of watching it and i was like this is door fortress with the tile set cool okay all right i'm good you know it's like i don't think it's going to be as um as radical of a change as uh people think i think it's going to be more of a you know, more iterative in the, in the way things change. I think it'll be like, this will feel pretty jarring. There'll be a big tile set kind of included by default. And, you know, old school ASCII people will probably just be like, whoa. But I think for the rest of us who've played with tile sets, it'll probably feel pretty natural. Has he explicitly said that the old key combinations are still going to work? Yeah, I saw that somewhere in the notes that they said that they're going to leave the key combos alone and the keyboard shortcuts will stay in the game. I think he's aware of the fact that like B capital C W to build a wall isn't maybe the most intuitive thing in the world, (laughs) but there probably isn't like some intuitive key combination that makes that easier. But if you can help players find it faster, that's cool because trying to teach a new player, Oh, you want to build a wall? It's B capital C capital C. Yeah. Capital C capital C. Yeah. Capital. No, not lower. Capital. Oh, okay. W. You know, it's like it's not a, it doesn't have that intuitiveness to it. So if you could, you know, (laughs) gently encourage people through UI that, you know, that this is how you do it, then maybe that'll make it easier. Kind of that room world sort of feel. Yeah. That's, that's my thought. I couldn't tell you right now off the top of my head how to place a a Mason's workshop or a craft source workshop or or lay out a, a farm plot, but I can do it without thinking. (laughs) <laughs> because yeah. it's all muscle memory now. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. And it, and there is there is some logic to it. I think where where logic kind of starts to fail me in the game is in the military stuff. Um, yeah, I, I've deep dived that a bunch of times, like trying to get in on it. And then there's this thing of like I create a uniform, and then I can add a weapon or ban a weapon, and then inevitably I end up like stripping some dwarf down by accident because I don't know what I'm doing. And I I would love to see a little bit more uh, user-friendliness come to some of the military stuff, I think. Well, you see, I'm all right with that. I can can equip them now pretty pretty easily. It takes forever. But um, the problem I have is I have tried several times to figure out how to get them to train, you know, a two-month period on, a two-month period off, and then rotate the people who are actually training. Oh, yeah. To build like a, I mean, an on-call rotor is <laughs> like if I put it in work, in work terms, it's like, I would like to build my on-call list, please. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's not easy to do. I mean, it's, it's, I know how to do it. It's just, I couldn't tell you how to do it and it's not intuitive. <laughs> so I've, I've gone in through the uh, Dwarf Fortress wiki several times when trying to do that. And, and yes, it tells you how to do it. And I think that I can do it if, uh, 
if I sit there and read every line and every instruction. But inevitably, I just say, yeah, this isn't worth the trouble. I'll just have them train all the time and (laughs) go on with my business. And deal with whatever fallout. I mean, I'd rather at this point, like, let them freak out and go nuts than try to figure out how to do an on-call roster. (laughs) Just be like, oh, well, we've lost that dwarf because he couldn't handle work. Oh, well, what are you going to do? No, and um, and what's the answer to text will be text or whatever? I think would be cool. Like, how are we gonna? How's that gonna fly? <laughs> I still haven't got my head wrapped around exactly what that does. Yeah, I think it just lets you. I think it just like <laughs> somebody's probably listening to this going, no, 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 that's wrong, wrong, wrong. And um, first and, and at dfroundtable.com. <laughs> let us know how and why we're wrong. I should I should put a disclaimer. Oh, uh, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Then I'll put my disclaimer. Say, no, we are probably wrong uh, about this, but no, I, I think the way it works is it swaps out. I think it lets kind of multiple things exist on top of each other um, by doing some kind of wizardry. The disclaimer that I've got to that I dude that sounds so crap. <laughs> I, I apologize for that. I'm so sorry. That was the worst explanation. I think I need to put in the intro of the show. I think I need to to can an intro and have it say, "We are under no circumstances experts at Dwarf Fortress, nor do we claim to be, but we like to talk about it. We're wrong a lot. <laughs> Tell us how wrong we are at dfroundtable.com." Um. Yeah, I, I think it. Uh, I think it does some. It does some things with transparency and, and and trickery, so you can have sort of multiple things representing in the same space. Um, one thing that I had a friend. I, I, this is exciting, I guess. I had a friend play this game, um, which is the first time this ever happened for me. And and his feedback was, "Why is everything blinking all the time?" And I thought, well, you know, that's a. He's like, I find it kind of unnerving. And I thought, well, yeah, you know, I, I, I can see that being kind of unnerving. Um, <laughs> they do blink a lot, and I don't really understand why. <laughs> so, yes, it would be cool if they didn't blink as much. Um, I, I have an idea of the why. It's because you have 23 things that are all on that particular tile, and it wants to show you what they all are. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Maybe so- Tony needs an... An enhance button where you just push it and it goes enhance. And then anyway, you can zoom in on the tiles. I, I don't know. But yeah. And, and the state of the, the down arrows, like the blinking brown arrow versus the down blue arrow kind of makes sense that they're thirsty. Like I, I, I can wrap my head around right. that. But, um, but yeah, some of the other stuff I'm kind of like, mm, yellow one. What is that? What is yellow down arrow? mean? I don't know. Then I got to go to the DF wiki and look it up. The only blink that really bugs me is whenever you place a stockpile over a stairwell and the X's for the stairwell are always blinking. <laughs> I always then have to come back back and uh, take the, the stockpile off of the stairwell to make it stop blinking. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of my things on that is like the bits of rock, you know, when they, when they excavate. Like if I was looking at this place where I've stopped – They've left saltpeter on the stairs, and so now the stairs are blinking with saltpeter on it. I'm just like, uh-huh. just get that crap out of here. Get it out of there. And I know that there's a keyboard shortcut that I could use that would get rid of that. You know, like you can hide the rock piles or whatever, but uh, I don't know. I just, I wish that they could. I wish there was something of like, you know, clean this crap up, guys. Pick up your rocks. Actually, you know, there probably is a DF hack command you can do to take away all Unstockpiled stone. 
It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, because this me. place looks really tatty. I'm like, you guys can do better than this. I'm sorry. It takes so long to, to clean up stone, though. I've taken to the to the habit of whenever I start a new uh, uh, excavation, I'll just plop a stone stockpile right there so that even though the stone may not be where I want it, at least I'll neaten it up and just put them all nearby where they're digging. Um, yeah, you know what I've done um, when I'm do- when I'm kind of playing with an idea for a fort or playing with an idea for anything that I'm doing in this. I love Fastdorf space one space zero, which basically just makes them do what they're doing, but faster. So it sort of almost feels like you're running at a slightly higher frame rate than you are, which is joyful. Um, and yeah, that, that for me has been really helpful because then I can, I don't have to wait my whole life for them to channel out a moat or, or, or dig out the, the dining room. It's like, I know they're going to do it and I'm cool with it happening. It's just that the amount of my life that gets expended to them digging out a dining room is shorter and that's a win. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like get to it fellas. I experienced that last night when I, uh, Roland last episode talked about moving your trade depot down further into the, uh, into the, the fortress. And it took forever for them to channel down 20 layers deep to get my trade depot down uh, where my excavation was happening. But now that I've done that, I don't think it's going to take me so long to move it down even further whenever I need to. You know, I think I just got impatient. (laughs) I'm like, all right, good. Now you guys are good. Get down to the cavern layers quickly. But um, but yeah, that's that's kind of how I've been doing it because I just feel like I've got some ideas and I want to see where they go and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it if it's a totally failed concept. So what I had wanted to talk about today was, and I don't know if we should hold off until we're, I don't really know how that's going to work with uh, with Roland how we're going to to do that up. So, uh, but what I was going to to talk about was the interaction that your fortress leader has with the trade liaison. And I took little uh, screenshots of all of the individual while you, while you're going through it, it seems like there's 50, but it turns out that there's nine different screens that you have to yes. acknowledge. Go, go, go. <laughs> good. Get out, get, a, 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 get out of my way. A escape, a escape, a escape. Right. Yeah. But it occurred to me that I, I have never really paid too much attention to what's actually going on there, except whenever I am out of drink and I tell them that I want them to bring drink next time. And by the time they bring it, I'm stocked back up again and I don't need it anymore. But <laughs> yeah, I, um, I tried to play this one where I didn't have metal and I was trying to get them to bring me metal things. And it just, you know what? It just didn't end up. It didn't end up. They didn't really help me. Uh, so, so I gave up on them. Um, yeah, uh, I don't really know how that works. I I mean, maybe it's supposed to be more intuitive than it is, but yeah, I don't know how to get them to actually bring me stuff and then have me patiently wait for it. I think, um, the YouTuber, uh, what do you call him? Krugsmash seems to have that kind of worked out in some of his videos where he's like, I'm going to tell them that I need this. And then next season they'll bring me that. And I'm like, well, that's cool. How did you survive a season without it? (laughs) (laughs) Usually it's a, you know, uh, it's, it's pretty dire by the time. Um, yeah. I typically buy from the, from the caravans. I will buy food and drink because it's much easier to do that than it is to actually build a sustainable agriculture or, or, uh, 
or animal science or so what's that what's a what's the word for uh for killing meat <laughs> uh grocery something about grocery stores i think is that right but yeah so it's easier to just buy it from the from the caravans than it is to to build up my my meat supply and and all that stuff true yeah that's true yeah then try to have to to have to deal with animals yeah because dealing with animals can be a real pain in the butt so i concentrate on on building really nice shiny trinkets and oh i found out recently though that that your artisans don't care for it whenever you sell their masterpieces oh i thought that they did i thought that was like this whole thing where they would like go into despair or something. Oh, yeah. That's cool. When I say they don't, when I say they don't care for it, I mean, they dislike it. Oh, they do. Dis- yeah. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, they don't approve of that. They, I know I sold one one time by accident and that, you know, cause I, sometimes if you bring it up, the trade people are like, Oh, I can't see past this wonderful artifact. You, duh, duh, this is like, well, the only thing I ever wanted. And you know, it's like crap. Well, I knew artifacts, but what I found out was they don't like you selling masterpieces. Oh, yeah. So it turns out that that they're uh, if you sell all of the masterpieces that a particular artisan has built, they will uh, get depressed and angry and all that. But it has to do with a percentage of the number of masterpieces that still exist in the fortress that they created. So if they have created four hundred and twenty masterpiece beds then they're not going to be too upset whenever you sell five of them. But if they have only, if they've only created three masterpiece, you know, trinket rings, and then you sell all three of them, apparently they can get uh, depressed and go into a funk over it. Well, that's sad to hear. Yeah. I but, believe it. <laughs> but on the other hand, if you set one dwarf being a craftsman, cranking out stone crafts, you know, by the time they've done it for a year, they're cranking out a masterpiece, you know, every five minutes. So, yeah. Yeah. I got to get better about um, fostering their creativity and letting them get all this stuff. Because sometimes I just, I move people around a lot. And sometimes people don't have enough time to get really good at what they do. Because I'm like, you're idle. Now you're a stone carver. <laughs> He's like, I'm a milker. I'm like, well, today you're milking the cavern walls, buddy. You know, I have I have a question. So let's say you have a fortress and um, you want to have a metal industry, do, and, but you don't have any bituminous coal or lignite or anything like that that you found. But you do have trees. Do you do you go after the trees to make the charcoal, or do you dig down into the lava to get to the magma forges? I personally go for the trees because okay. I've yet to dig down. Playing three years, and I've yet to dig down far enough to get to lava. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. I don't try because I'm not looking to to build a magma forge typically. Right. But, uh, yeah. No, I've uh, I've set up some uh, some some wood furnaces to make charcoal and and I've done it that way only a couple times for whatever reason. I much like I don't tend to produce my own food. I also don't tend to produce my own weapons and and metal stuff. Again, I'll buy that from the caravan. My fortresses tend to be like a giant well-crafted five and dime because I make a lot of crowns. I make a lot of scepters, a lot of rings. And then I will put, I will put a, uh, a jeweler right next to my stockpile. That's by the, the trade depot and have them, you know, decorate the trinkets with jewels to, to increase their value. It's a bad day whenever I don't have, you know, 50,000 
gold pieces, 50,000 anyway, worth of trinkets to sell and get pretty much whatever I want. I always have my caravans leaving ecstatic because I always have them profit to the same okay. amount that I have them, uh, that I have, that I buy. So if I buy $10,000 worth of stuff, then I will have them profit $10,000. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of a more, cause I, I think I got locked into this idea of, well, you know, I don't want to cut down a lot of trees cause I feel like that's not sustainable, but really I'm probably dead by the time it's a problem. Like the fortress has fallen and they probably don't need to do too many trees. Especially if you go to a heavily forested biome. Yeah. And then look, you're going to end up with caves. And once you get out of the caves, you can cut fungi wood. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Maybe we should be a little bit less worried about that. But I'm always just like, I better get down to the, you know, I better get down to the um, the cavern layer. I really want yeah. that. And My yeah, biggest and then, fear is that I'm going to piss off the elves. <laughs> I kind of enjoy that, to be honest with you. <laughs> There's a little satisfaction in there, and when they come in with a little ambush and and they're attacking with toothpicks or whatever, it's yeah, it's pretty satisfying to see that not work. <laughs> I know that may may be cruel, but it's uh, it's hilarious because um, they aren't. Uh, I mean, I don't. <laughs> I wonder, has anyone fallen to the elves ever? Has that happened? I'm. I would love to know. I'm if not you sure. Fall into the elves and are willing to admit it, please. I think I did early on, but that was. When, I mean, not that I know what I'm doing now, but that was when I really didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, why are they attacking me? I do that. Ah. Hey, have you played Paradexus Arantz uh, release 11 of uh, the Lacey New Pack? Um, let me see. Uh, yeah, I think I've got that one running now. I think I just installed it. Why? What, what, what's, uh, what's in there? What's the good well, stuff? Well, the good stuff for me is that it doesn't crash because oh, <laughs> I was using uh, release six. And then when I went to release seven, whatever reason, it didn't care for my computer or, or something because it started crashing. I would very often I would have a session. I'd play for an hour, hour and a half, and then it would just do the door fortress air condition where it just disappears. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> Luckily, I always turn on save every season, so I don't typically didn't typically lose, but it, it got annoying. So I went back to playing with release six, and I tried that for for each subsequent release, like I think eight, nine, and ten. But it it turns out now that uh, this release I'm playing on and I'm not crashing at all, and things are going well. Hooray! Thank you again, Paradexus Arant, because yeah, wow, uh, I use cool. the heck out of your your uh, your utility. Yeah, well, I mean, there's just so much joy it brings with it. Um, I wonder if uh, if it was just like a recompiled DF hack because DF hack itself is amazing and wonderful, but it is doing things that computers can get kind of fussy about. Mm, yeah, like replacing things that are running in memory. <laughs> you know, like you're you're doing things that really the computer doesn't like, or some programs don't like. Um, so yeah, maybe it was just recompiling that. Uh, could that be, could be. And with the funky release schedule that the windows has nowadays, it could be that I was stuck on some version that had something that DF hack didn't agree with. Yeah. I think that's just a, definitely a windows challenge because 
I mean, Windows needs to run optimally and effectively on every piece of hardware that's ever been made, basically. And so I think if you're making an operating system that has that constraint, I guess, that you're, you're obviously going to have problems with um, some random driver somewhere at some point. Well, first of all, let me just say, uh, so how are you, Roland? <laughs> I am great. Thanks for asking. Did you have any interesting Dwarf Fortress happenings in the last couple of weeks? Well, yes. You know that every single dwarf has a creativity parameter. So you can have a very creative dwarf or an uncreative dwarf. Okay. Um, which is really interesting, but I never really thought about it, what it means, what it might mean for, well, creative jobs. As it happens, I found a very creative dwarf, and he loved um, doing art and, and looking at art. So I thought, well, uh, and made him the dwarven artist of my entire fortress. So now all this man does is go around and either engrave stuff, make me images or statues. And yes, yes, um, that means that he has like several different kind of jobs, but he's getting really good at them. So does that make his the description of the statues that he creates more interesting, I wonder? Mm. As it seems, the description length is mostly um, done by the quality of the item. So a low-quality item has a small description, while a very good-quality item seems to have a longer description. But I... May, okay, maybe this is like me imagining things, but I'm pretty sure that he has more distinct images because I felt that some dwarves tend to, like always do something with, I don't know, cheese or mosquito brains or, or mice, you know. But this man doesn't really have a distinctive pattern. Okay, in the, in the last few years, he got, he got a bit depressed because of zombie happenings. And he started to paint how his mother got uh, killed by a rock over and over again. <laughs> um, but I would say that's mostly due his depression and not his lack of creativity uh, when i think of creativity with dwarves i mostly think of it in terms of them just getting upset and depressed because they haven't had a chance to be creative in a while because mm -hmm. they've been hauling stuff instead of working at a craft dwarf shop yeah i i thought so too like the amount of of creative work they want to do but um, th that is something else. That is actually a part of their personality profile. But I, I incline to art. It's called inclined to art. So if a dwarf is inclined to art, he wants to work with art more. But it's, it seems that the creativity seems to be somewhat independent from that. Do you see the inclined to art attribute in the personality description of the dwarf? In his thoughts? Only if he is, like, not average. I think you only see it if he is very inclined to art or not inclined to art at all. But um, you can see it when you try to make an adventurer because then it pops up and asks you if your adventurer is inclined to art. Gotcha. Hmm. <laughs> you say zombie apocalypses are happening to you? Oh, yes. Um, 
The thing is, I managed to get a hold of a very neat settling spot that is in mostly a forest with a lot of strawberry bushes, uh, which which is really really cool. But oh yeah, um, the downside to it is is probably the fact that on the upper uh, right corner I have a tiny speck of desert, which on the one hand is cool for glass industry. For the other, it's pretty bad because this is a haunted desert and it is a reanimating biome. So just part of your of your embark location is the reanimating biome and the other part is not? Is that right? Yes. Only a very tiny fraction is actually a reanimating biome. <laughs> it is so tiny. So if something happens to die up there, you're in trouble, but uh, otherwise yes. you're all right? <laughs> oh, Yes. Um, most of my fort is in the forest, so not in any kind of danger. But I have some um, camels spawn in sometimes, and there's a chance that those camels are zombies already. Because um, they came from the off of your map, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where the reanimating biome is is in full force. Yes. And right. so sometimes I just have like badgers and, and normal forest animals and I check it and it says like badger and blah, blah, blah. Oh, cool. Zombie camels. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> um, and the bad thing about it is camels like being in flocks. So I don't get like one zombie camel. I get like six to eight. Yeah, uh, it's terrible. It's it's absolutely terrible. But me getting slightly bored of my fortress, I thought how to make it fun in capital letters. Um, <laughs> so I dug out a trash pit in the desert and I started to dump all my trash in the trash pit. And of course, I know that, you know, if you dump like bones or almost rotten animals there, they will come back. But guess what? I like that. And um, I managed to build it in a way that they weren't able to actually get out. So I now have this massive pit of zombies. Uh, it's so many <laughs> zombies that it's starting to lag my PC. So I have to stop the, the, the dumping part. And I'm building now a, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, a lava magma pump screw system screw pump system right uh, so i can like clean the pit so in a case like that say that you have a pit it's say 10 z levels deep and you take a magma pump and you pump it full of magma will the hole actually fill i think it does i think it can fill because when especially when you have like a small hole that can fill very quickly, then it can Mm -hmm. add several Z levels of lava or water even on top of each other. But it has to fill one level up to seven, and then it can start filling the next level. With water, the water will drain uh, if you if it's not being fed, you know, by by a a water stream of some sort. Like, for example, if you if you pump water in and then stop pumping it, that water that's in that if let's let's say it's a one tile, but but five Z levels deep, when you fill it all the way up to the top, it will end up all being gone after, you know, uh, uh, like a year or so. Yes. 
because all the water, I don't know if it's evaporating or draining out, but I wonder what will happen with magma. Will it drain out or will it turn into stone? Um, well, I think it just stays there for a really long time um, because I think it only turns to stone if you actually put like something like cold on it, water, snow, whatever. So, Not huh. even snow, so it's. I think. So it's energy, maybe like uh, radioact- radioactivity that causes the heat in this particular <laughs> magma. Mm, yes, cool. uh, glowing dwarves. Okay, so I'd like to go over the stages in the uh, tray layers on interaction with mm-hmm. your a fortress whenever your trade caravans show up. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm just looking at ones that is uh, it's a dwarven fortress, and this is a dwarven caravan. But while the wording seems a little bit different, Whenever it's a, a human or an elven caravan, it seems that the interactions are pretty much the same. Yes. So whenever the caravan first arrives, you have the the tray liaison. You have him come up, introduce himself, and wants to discuss the situation. Then they add stuff to the world map if, if stuff has been going on. Mm-hmm. how Can you tell whenever you look at the world map the new things that have been added by the tray liaison? No. <laughs> so, so it's just you gotta you gotta know the map and be able to be able to see what the new things are that have been added. Um, yes, I I think uh, sometimes, especially if it's like something minor, like oh this and that guy got slain. Um, I don't actually think it will do anything on the world map. It will just you know n- note it down and that's it. If maybe a settlement got raised by goblins or undead or whatever. You might see that violet tint is spreading somewhere, but yeah, I, did. I never had that really. Okay. After they add something, add new stuff to your map, they ask what you are requesting from the merchants. Now, the idea is is that's what they're supposed to be bringing back next year, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have noted, though, that it seems to have a bearing on the things that they are bringing this time as well. If I immediately ask, tell the trade liaison that I want lots of food and I want lots of drink. Whenever I take a look at the actual items that they are bringing in that time, it seems to increase the amount of food and drink that they have on the caravan for that particular, uh, for that particular load. Hmm. So I'm kind of wondering if there's a bug that, you know, it should be next year's stuff that you're asking for. But if you need it right now, I think that it will actually increase the chances that you're going to get what you need on this caravan. Have you had any experience with that? I mean, they do bring more drinks next year. I, I think it's more of a they have some amount of storage on their uh, on their wagons. And right. if they haven't really unloaded um, the wagon yet then the game itself does not really check what actually is on there. So, yes, ah. it might influence the... No, wait, that's that's not true because you can actually check the wagon. You can check the wagon before it gets, gets there? I know that you can check the uh, pack animals when they don't have a wagon, that y- you can check what is on the animal itself. I'm pretty sure you can actually check the wagon, but... Um, it always seems to me that there's just a few stuff, like a few items on the wagon itself, but they bring way, way more into the right. depot. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to see anything and everything that they bring. 
and then they spawn more into my depot or if they actually bring like if the if the trade amount and items that they bring are designated the second they come into my map hmm hmm once you tell them the things that you want then they will show you the prices of the items that that you are asking for as priority items and it looks like that that by requesting them for the next wagon load you jack the price up on yourself yes, yes. that's interesting yeah i mean that's capitalism basically but uh... <laughs> yeah once uh once you ask them to bring you certain things and they agree to bring those certain things then they will tell you what they want you to build for next year and uh, so that apparently will get you a premium price on those items as well. It does seem to me that it is rarely things that I'm interested in building that they want. Yeah, it is. It is usually something like crafts and rings and, and, and clothing. Sometimes I've also seen seeds, pickaxes and a fish. I'm not sure how it gets determined though. So <laughs> I'm looking at my, uh, at, at the, screen capture that i took of when i was doing a little bit of research on this they want powder cheese figurines crutches now crutches is something that i could easily make crutches yeah yeah i could i could have a carpenter just sit there cranking out crutches for a year and uh and do well with that say legwear they really want legwear uh headwear earrings windows anvils and cloth once you see what it is that they want you to build, then they wish you farewell. And I have noted that they seem to be pretty annoyed with you if you don't tell them to bring anything special next year. Yes. They say, you know, capitalism only works whenever people buy from other people. Yes, basically. <laughs> Does that have any ramifications for later? I'm not sure. Um, many times I don't really care what they bring because I have everything in my fortress that I truly need. And I just get some special, like, shark leather or something, you know, like dumb stuff that I don't really need, but I can get my grubby hands on. Yeah. But I don't tell them to, like, bring anything ever, but they keep trading with me. So I'm not sure if they actually get mad at me for not wanting anything. Honestly, it just seems that they get a bit grumpy, but they still come to you. So there is no, no negative point of... Uh, like, oh, no, I have to tell you that I need this, even though I don't, so that you may continue trading with me. I, I don't think that's how it works. Is there any difference in interactions besides the, the kind of stuff that they have between humans, elves, and and the mountain home? Well, I don't think it does any more for a time. Um, you had a bit of different uh, interaction when your dwarf fellows came around and mm -hmm. they told you more about the world that changed when you were like gone. And right. like, oh, yes, the mayor died. We now have a new mayor. And you're like, oh, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> that doesn't really happen anymore because uh, it just goes straight to your map. When do the elves tell you that you're cutting down too many trees? That is a good question because it doesn't really happen every single time. It probably has to do with something about the proximity that you are to the next elven major settlement. Mm -hmm. 
because many a times I had nobody show up at my doorstep and tell me to stop cutting wood, which I like, you know. Of course. Uh, but sometimes I settle far away from elves and they still come around and go like, Ew, bah, 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 bah. like you travel all this way to tell me to stop cutting wood in a different part of the world. All right, mate. The world I'm in right now, I think, uh, I don't think that there are any elves left in it. It's not a very old Good. world at all. It's, uh, I think that it's, uh, you know, a 250 year, maybe a 500 year world. But I get human caravans and, um, and you know, the dwarven caravans, but I don't get elven caravans. Hmm. Maybe it's just because of the continent I'm on or, or something about my particulars. But I'm not getting elven caravans, which I'm happy with because I don't have to worry about making sure I don't accidentally sell them a toothpick and have them get all up in arms about it. <laughs> so true. So true. Oh, you have insulted us. Yeah. But one thing I just want to add, right? Because the elves get so much shit for their weird behavior when you cut too many trees. Okay, yes, I can understand. But please, please, they bring you exotic animals. How cool is that? <laughs> I mean, let's be straight. I have not utilized that a whole lot. Really? I, I don't wow. really know what to do too much with, with animals. So... I've I've not gotten into training them. I pretty much eat them as the only thing that I do with animals. And wow. then if it happens to be that I have too many cats, then yeah, my dwarves will will have a, a cat barbecue. Wow. Well, I mean, the the thought of me just having a random uh, war grizzly bear or something is so intriguing to me that I always. I, I never really want to start war with the elves simply because I I hope for the elves to actually bring me some cool animals that I can train into war animals and then they let lo lose on the elves again. Um, right. And sometimes I got really lucky, like grizzly bears. I once got giant war grizzly bears. Like they weren't trained yet, but you get the drift. Um, so how effective are they in battle anyway? Oh, my Lord. Very, very. Like, the bite attack is so vicious. They are not really that easily frightened. So they don't run away from enemies. They just run toward, towards somebody because they're giant bears. They have so much strength. Oh, oh, they, they just rip goblins apart with a single attack and you just see bones and blood spray. Bladder everywhere. It's wonderful. Oh, you got anything else that you want to go over uh, for uh, this episode? Um, I think I keep saying this, right? But I am so hyped for the new update with the graphics that I honestly have some trouble concentrating on the game as it is now. Because when I play it, I just keep imagining how it would be different playing the new version. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I would like to see it, how it works. Then, mm. Did you watch the video of Toady playing, uh, playing Zack's Fortress? It is wonderful. Yeah. It is wonderful. My heart became so warm. Oh, can't wait. Yeah, I am really looking forward to it. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, uh, then uh, I guess that we will talk to you next time. And and uh, it's this has been a kind of an odd episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to yeah. see how I'm going to pace these all together. But 
I, I may end yeah. up interleaving, interleaving, but so we'll see so if it doesn't take too much time. It may end up being such that if I try to do interleaving and mixing all the talk together, that it will just take way too much time. It would be interesting, though, to see if I could edit it such that you just can't tell that it was done in three separate things, because a lot of the, the a lot of the conversations that you and me have had mm-hmm. uh, is the same thing that me and Tony talked about. So. Mm-hmm. So we Whoa. talked about the upcoming release. We talked a little bit about trade. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see if I can get creative there. I think you can do it, yeah. Well, until next time, uh, yes. we'll catch you later. Yeah, thanks catch for, you later. Uh, thanks for, uh, for coming by on Monday. Of course. All right. Later, bud. Bye-bye. This has been the Dwarf Fortress Roundtable Podcast. You can find all our past episodes at dfroundtable.com. Stop by and leave a message or suggestion in the comments section for this episode. While you're there, you can subscribe to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable or find us in the podcast service of your choice. You can find video content on our YouTube channel, and you can send us an email at urist at dfroundtable.com. That's U-R-I-S-T at dfroundtable.com. Please consider donating to the creators of Dwarf Fortress at Bay12Games.com. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can find us at patreon.com slash dfroundtable. Music for this episode is from filmmusic.io. Sky Cullen and Folkround are both by Kevin McLeod. You can find more from Kevin McLeod at incompetech.io.